Welcome to the Locker Room Podcast. I'm Trig Viker. This is a place where we break down sermon stories and scripture for the race of our faith. Uh, if this podcast has been serving you, please hit that notification bell and uh, hit follow on whatever platform you're listening to us on. Rod, Libby, good to see you. Hey. Great to be here. Uh, but most importantly, Jim Sprague, it is so great to have you at this table. And I am so excited to just have a conversation with you <laughs> about our shared faith, about Jesus, and uh, why don't you just tell us yeah. who you are and Sounds what you're good. doing here. Yeah, who are you and what are you doing here? <laughs> um, I'm Jim Sprague. I'm um, often introducing myself as CEO of PRC Grand Rapids. I've been there 23 years, but uh, how I got there, right, is is a whole God story. Um, I was uh, born and raised in Bay City, Michigan, First Baptist Church of Bay City, uh, where my parents were deeply involved. I came to Christ at an early age. So grateful for my upbringing. Uh, so grateful for my parents. Today, actually, is my mother's birthday, what would have been my mother's 98th birthday. Wow. Uh, so we're here on mm-hmm. Ma's birthday, so shout out to, to Mom. Uh, One quick thing, yeah, Jim. What's yeah. PRC? Yeah, Pregnancy Resource Center. Okay. So um, we've we've gone to PRC because it it um, best describes sort of the three buckets of our ministry and what goes into it. So the P is proactive education, right? So we're helping uh, young people and churches and families, helping people understand their God given sexuality uh, relationships from a bi- biblical perspective. So we do that in churches and we do mm-hmm. that in schools. We um, all in with our colleagues around the nation and this region in particular, where we're in a lot of uh, public schools and private schools, we see 14,000 kids a year with that message. Wow. Yeah, yeah just, just so grateful for that kind of impact. So preventing an unplanned pregnancy or an STD before it occurs. So the P is the proactive uh, education piece. The R is the responsive medical care. When there is an STD, an unplanned pregnancy, how do we step into that situation? So we provide uh, excellent medical care, uh, ultrasounds, pregnancy tests, STD testing, and the treatment that goes along with that. Uh, all uh, in Christ's name. And then C is the compassionate support, Beautiful. right? So you see somebody who's in an unplanned crisis pregnancy situation and you want to encourage that person to choose life because we believe in life and that God is the author of life. But don't do that if you're not going to commit, right, to walking with her when she does, right? So the compassionate support service is like a whole separate office. We've got 5,000 square feet dedicated to you know, the, the counseling, but also the material needs come alongside her and all of the things that might have been obstacles, you know, to choosing mm-hmm. life uh, is what we bring alongside. And that's been a great place for, for people in churches to get involved, too, in you know, meeting with, with our clients there. So that's PRC. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Um, so how I ended up uh, in the family of faith as I was born in a family of faith um, very grateful for that. Um, and, you know, it's really interesting to be here in this month because uh, I attended Cornerstone. It was Baptist College back in the day. And I just went to um, homecoming or alumni weekend, and I ran into somebody who was really instrumental in my uh, recommitment to faith. I came to Christ as a result of Lake Ann Camp up in uh, the Traverse City area. That ministry was very important to me. And a guy that I got to know really well there uh, was a guy by the name of Dwight Hirschberger. And Dwight was one of three out of four who drowned 
in a canoeing accident when they were scouting uh, off of uh, Drummond Island. So this is back in 1980. I'm a 20-year-old kid, and I'm now wow. sitting in the front row of the church at this funeral service for a guy who is, I don't know, five or six years older than I, but I was not living for the Lord. He was, and I'm having this really hard conversation with God about, you took the wrong guy because I am not serving you. This guy was. What kind of God are you? That was literally going on in your mind, in your heart. Absolutely. Along with the snot and the tears and the just wow. the grief happening in that moment. So this uh, past weekend, I'm at Cornerstone, and I'm hearing Cheryl Steele tell her story about surviving that event. Mm-hmm. So she was the one who survived. The other three passed away. So it was uh, just a marvelous experience to see Cheryl to tell my part of the story because at that funeral, it was one of two times in my life where I really heard the Lord whisper in my ear and felt his presence just touch me. And I've only had to, I mean, I was born and raised Baptist, right? That doesn't happen yeah. a lot, you know, <laughs> for, for me. And it happened in that moment. And I said, you took the wrong guy. And the Lord whispered to me, Jim, it's not too late for you. Hmm. And in that moment, I dropped out of school. This was July, and I was starting next month at MSU. I had my classes. I had my roommates. And you guys, I was going for all the wrong reasons, you know. Um, Magic Johnson had just won the national <laughs> championship, and it was, like, going to be a, just a great time down in East Lansing. Yeah. And I was feeling like the Lord was going, you do not go there. That is not for you. And so I was too late to, to do anything else. In January, I came over to Grand Rapids and um, – enrolled in the, in the Bible Diploma Program at, at, uh, at uh, the Baptist College and um, started working in a, in a youth home, and that's where I met my wife, Jody. Um, and then the rest of our story as it relates to the sanctity of human life, which is really our topic uh, today, we ended up adopting uh, our three children out of unplanned Uh, if not crisis pregnancy situations. So that was the second time I heard the Lord speak to me about the Paul's uh, doctrine of adoption. And I had been poo-pooing adoption. I'm like, that's for quitters. That's for failures. We're not going to do that. Um, And the Lord said to me in a service, you need to hear what this guy has to say. And he, it was a BSF and and we were on the Pauline doctrine of adoption. And he said, if you've ever um, looked down at adoption, realize you are not born into God's family. Wow. He reaches out and he picks you and yeah. he takes you home and he makes you his. And so if you've ever thought adoption was less than, God is saying no. And I went home that night and I said, wow, we need to look into this. So, And then I could go on about how we adopted our kids and all of that. But um, to be called in um, April of, of 2001 to start at PRC at the Pregnancy Resource Center and realize that God's plan for us was these kids who in their story, their birth moms, nobody in our culture would have batted an eye and said, well, yeah, you're 16 years old. You don't need to be you know, going through this and strapped with this unplanned pregnancy. Abortion is obviously the best choice for you. That's my oldest son mm-hmm. who has since given us a granddaughter. You know, mm-hmm. And so it's just not lost on me that the work that we do is so personal and so um, so meaningful to Jody and I. And then the other two uh, kids were born to the same mom and their stories, uh, again, nobody would have looked at their birth moms and, and blamed them, you know, if they uh, had aborted. And um, I'm so glad they didn't, mm-hmm. you know? So we ended up at Crossroads um, uh, as a result of COVID. 
Wow. Rod, you had invited me to come in January of that year, 2020. Um, How did you get to know Rod? Oh, you want to go back there, huh? You want to go back there? So uh, co- Coach Rod, uh, Coach um, Rod uh, coached one of my kids, Kevin, Kevin. Uh, in the in the Forest Hills uh, system, probably two years in a row, sixth and seventh, yeah. seventh and eighth, maybe. Actually, it was uh, eighth and ninth. Oh, eighth and, and ninth. Kevin yeah. was an amazing football player. <laughs> uh, fast, strong, yeah. twitchy. <laughs> twitchy, and yeah. And uh-huh. coaches are not supposed to have favorites you know you're not supposed to show your favorites but kevin made that very hard for me yeah i absolutely loved him yeah and yeah. what a great yeah. just character yeah yeah well he uh he went on to play uh college lacrosse Doesn't i don't know if you knew me. that yeah so another physical sport yeah, yeah very f- physical sport uh his team actually went to the national championship last wow. last spring Did so they really yeah what, yeah what so they college? went um mercyhurst university in erie so yep. yeah we were out memorial weekend in philly in the um lincoln financial stadium and on the 50 yard line watch they they lost and they lost horribly but hey they were they were in the national championship they were in a natty it was crazy so he's he's having a blast please send my uh c- congratulations and love to him yeah i will yeah. definitely definitely oh he loves you he loves you and and he can still chant, uh, chant back the uh the things that you poured into him, you know, like, what does your coach, you know, expect of you? hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. We started every practice, some chance. Yeah. Oh yeah. I wanted them to know what this was all about. Yeah. So here we were, um, in COVID, right. And, um, you had invited me to come and speak in January because it was sanctity of human life mm-hmm. Sunday. You were going to give a message uh, yep. about life and you wanted me to talk to the congregation about PRC um, which I did. And during that uh, service, you talked about how the elders had met and prayed. And you said, look, we realize that some people are fearful, you know, COVID and a lot of questions, a lot of, a lot of concern. Um, we're going to have a place for you with masks and, and so forth. But in here, you know, this is the hospital yeah. and we're staying open yeah. because people need the hospital. Yeah. And I heard that. Yeah. And I was like, I like that. I was at a church that was closing. Or head closed, yeah. and we had just gotten that word. So the rest of the story is, uh, later that week, I have a neighbor come and knock on my door, and she says, "Hey, we're thinking about going to church. I know you guys go to church. Can I come with you?" And she's clearly like, "I want to go to mm-hmm. church," and I'm thinking, "Well, my church just closed, but hey, I was just at this church that said they're staying open. Let's check it out." So we started attending with her and her two kids. Love it. That's yeah, so, cool. so that's how we ended up here. Yeah, you know, I mean, we had that same moment that you had in the funeral service where God mm. just downloaded and was just telling us mm-hmm. the doors need to be open. Yeah. We had they were literally open. I remember it got cold in here. <laughs> I know. <laughs> remember they we, were literally we were trying open. to keep the fresh air circulating <laughs> as much as we yeah. could. Yeah. That was beautiful. Yeah. Mm. That was the right call. And just going back, I mean, even to that funeral service, if I may. Mm-hmm. You know, in that moment, I think a lot of times we've been in situations where it's like, God, why did you do that? Yeah. Why would you take someone like that? Yeah. Someone who's just doing great things for the Lord. It doesn't make sense sometimes. But you're the rest of that story, mm. or at least a part of the rest of the oh, story. Yeah. Yeah, there are many. It's like God mm-hmm. is always raising someone up. Yeah. yeah. And now you still had to be faithful in that moment. Yeah. Just yeah. like our church, you know. As we're listening to God, God, what are we supposed to be during this season? Mm-hmm. 
God's a good shepherd. Right. You know, he's yeah. going to show you the path that he wants you to take. And isn't that the duty of every believer, right? To, to be open, to hear, and to say yes. Amen. Regardless of... Cost. You, of cost, yeah. Difficulty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, we, yeah. it was so clear. This yeah. is what we have to do. This is what we need to be in yeah. this season. That's yeah. interesting. I did not know that that's... Dwight's life what, verse uh, was Philippians one twenty one: for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Wow. And, and you're dialing right in on that. You know, all that comes out of that when a seed, you know, goes into the earth and dies and what God grows out of that. So, yeah, it's beautiful. And it's still bearing fruit. Yeah, yeah. Here we're talking what he about does. him and we're yeah. talking about yeah. mm-hmm. the truth of mm-hmm. his life, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. God's truth. And even the way that we're starting this conversation, we're just hovering over this topic in many different ways of the value that God bestows upon these creatures that he calls humans and man and this idea of the image of God. Mm. I mean, the way that you're, you're talking about him just screams how much people matter, mm. um, not just to God, but to each other. Mm. And that's the work that you're in day in and day out. Well, you're, 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 you're dancing around our mission statement, living the truth that people matter to God. Wow. Well, did you know that, Treg? I did not. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there you go. There it is. And especially in light of just what's been going on in the world right now, mm. you know, I'm, I've been approaching this conversation with trepidation just because there's so many things being put on display right now in the world that scream that human beings do not matter and are disposable mm-hmm. and uh, amidst the carnage and chaos of the world, it's so easy to get confused and I think that the enemy would want us to be confused. So maybe we could just start with the biblical vision of what is a human and why do we matter? You know, Rod touched on this on Sunday and I just like to start there. Yeah, that was beautiful. Thank you for that. Kevin was in service, by the way. Oh, he was? Yeah, yeah. And he was he was happy. He was home for break. And and um, I, I always uh, enjoy hearing you know, how he's, how he's processing things, but he was, he was glad to be here. And I, I loved, I was glad to be here. And I, I loved what you were saying about what it means to be human. So thank you for diving into that. And it's, um, these little, little statues that mm-hmm. into, into which God breathes, uh, the breath of life, nothing else in all of creation got that kind of treatment, you know, the two hands, the breath of life. And, um, we are the crowning, um, um, uh, jewel of yeah. all of creation. And man, have we forgotten that? Mm. You know, that's why I loved coming here this morning. Um, it's, it's Tuesday at Crossroads. This is a busy place. I mean, there are a lot of, lot of people here and they're from the community. They're from the streets. I, I walked in and I'm smelling cigarette smoke. You know, there are people hanging around out mm-hmm. there and I'm like, they're being loved. Mm. Yeah. They know that they're comfortable here. They're not, mm-hmm. they're not sneaking it. Yeah. You know, they're like, totally. I yeah. love it. When I show up yeah. here at seven thirty-eight. Yeah. there's already 30, 40 people on yeah. our porch just yeah. hanging yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, a shower truck over there and people are getting showers. Maybe the only one they get all week. I don't know. But, uh, and they're just being, being loved. And that is, that is the sanctity of human life. So I'm just so pleased and really proud to be part of a church that, that serves that way. You know, people ask about, you know, how you ended up at Crossroads. And I, and I always just like, what is, you know, Crossroads to you? And it might be interesting for you guys to know that I describe it as a, 
um, as a blue collar faith walking hmm. church. Not, you know, blue collar as we think of stratus, but it's this is the kind of church that says, show up, roll up your yeah. sleeves yeah. and and jump in. Uh, we're not hiring somebody to get that done. We are doing it, you know. So being here uh, today, I don't know if Tuesday's any different than any other day of the week, but it's a busy place today. And I thought, it's going to be loud. How can we record a, a podcast without a lot of ambient noise? Because there's there's a, there's a lot of noise out yeah. there. It's oh, for sure. Stuff. Yeah. No. It's, the, it's the noise of life. It's one of our favorite days. Yeah. As they, people, our neighbors, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. some of the most vulnerable people in this community find home here. Mm-hmm. And from our hearts, we're, we're all the same. Mm-hmm. We all need each other mm-hmm. and all we all desperately need Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's just fun then to come together, even just walking through it again today and saying hello and seeing people. It just brings joy, pure joy. Yeah. Well, and it, it's a reminder, you yeah. know, of, of just all that, just how much we need God and how much we need each other. Yeah. And I believe it, it brings joy to the father's heart. Yeah. You know, what's going on here. Yeah. It just makes him smile. Yeah. It's a great partnership too. We have with the city. Mm-hmm. We have uh, the police, the fire department, Mel Trotter Mission. Mm-hmm. We're all coming together, mm-hmm. uh, serving together, locking arms together mm-hmm. to serve. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, so let's bring it back to this idea of the image of God. I know on Sunday morning, um, Rod, you talked briefly about the conflict that we see unfolding that has been unfolding, obviously, for a very, very long time, but in unfolding in a new way in the Middle East. And, you know, I think some people might have been a little bit shocked by the stance, per se, that we took. The fact that um, we talked specifically about the fact that as people of God, that we are devoted to the ministry of reconciliation. Um what does that mean, and why is that relevant for what's going on over there, especially as it pertains to people made in the image of God? Yeah, do you guys think people were surprised a little bit? Um, I, I think know they you fielded a few emails I, I did, from people yes. that were yeah. wondering about if you could clarify kind of. Yeah, and I, th- I think part of the surprise, too, is that we've spent a lot of time in Israel. Yeah, we have. And we've lived there. We take many trips there. We love that part of the world. And so I think maybe some people were just expecting for us to be very pro-Israel. And we're pro-people. We're pro-people. And I liked what you said earlier, Jim. We're pro-people, but we're also against sin, starting with our own. And so... It's a big picture of being pro-life. Yes. Um, Pro-life and anti-sin, as you put it, Jim. It's just beautiful. But it's this constant tension... I think that we feel as Christians in recognizing injustice or evil and seeing that played out, seeing chaos and evil break out in our world, and yet also loving people that are made in the image of God, not just the people that are easy to love, but the people that also are perpetuating chaos, potentially. I mean, every single one of us is stamped with the image of God. So it's that tension, that tightrope of walking that we see throughout the text. I mean, we see it in the Psalms, right? We see it all over. Yeah, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Mm. Um, And I mean, we have to be that way 
because that's who God is, you know, and sin itself too is, if you look at what it is in its essence, it, it violates God. It violates the world that he made. It violates life itself. Mm. That's what sin is. And so that's why God is against sin, which is why we need to be against sin. But I think in these situations that we look at in different parts of the world where, to be honest, we don't we don't know the complexity from the seat that we sit. It's very easy for us to take sides. It's also very easy for us to stereotype a people group based on the government that's over them. And I'm always hoping that when I travel in other parts of the world that people are not judging me as an American based on my government. But 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 they do. You feel that sometimes. Right especially in certain parts of the world. And you, you just want them to be able to parse out like our government from who I am as a person. So I then apply that to the, to my, to the best of my ability to situations like this. Uh, the Palestinian people by and large are not Hamas. And Hamas is mm. very evil. Um, in fact, what, you could go as far as saying that the Palestinian people, especially in the Gaza Strip, are victims of Hamas equally Mm. um, without getting too political or particular, but they're definitely not all members of the Hamas organization. So the Jewish people, if you want to take their roots all the way back, are Middle Eastern. A lot of the Palestinian world today is Christian or has been Christian. So Mm. not all Palestinians are even Muslims. Lots of Arab Christians. Lots of Mm. Arab Christians. In fact, Bethlehem is filled with Arab Christians. And just today I got on the news, it just got completely blockaded as well and shut down. So Mm. we have brothers and sisters in Bethlehem that Rod and I actually are friends with, have done life with for 15 years that are now behind that as well. So it's so complex, like you're stating. I just want to parse out that the Palestinian people are not Hamas and Hamas is not the Palestinian people. And all of them God loves. And God loves all of them. And Christ died for all of them. I, we um, can even go back further than that. He made them all. Yeah, formed he them. Create, created right. them. He formed them. He had them in mind. He had them in mind. They're part of his art. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, if I may, um, it's really, as someone who was sitting in the congregation on Sunday, I was totally expecting, you know, we stand with Israel kind of a message, right? And the more I have been processing what you said, and now you're unpacking here, I think is really helpful. Maybe it'll help some people who had some of the same questions, but to hear you say, oh yeah, well, the Hamas, you know, agenda is evil, right? So I think that helps. But if I may, um, I was thinking about Jesus in the temple, Luke 4, Mm. the, the story of him being handed the scroll, and he says, I'm here to bring freedom to the captives. Isaiah 61, he reads it. Yeah, sight to the blind. He's reading Isaiah 61, puts it down, uh, puts it away, sits down, and um, the text says everybody was marveling at his words. Amazed. They Mm -hmm. were just stunned until he did this, which is similar to what you you did on Sunday, right? I'm for everybody. If you think... This is what got him thrown or almost thrown off a cliff, a cliff right? And <laughs> I hope you're not thrown off a cliff, right? But, but Christ said, I'm for everybody. If you think, you Jews, that I'm, I'm just here to do this for you, Isaiah 61, I'm here to do this for everybody. So he gives an example of Naaman, the, 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 Syri- the Syrian general. Um, 
he was healed from leprosy and people in Israel weren't. Yes. And, and he was a commander in an army that was fighting against Israel. So I'm for them. And they went, what? And then he said, uh, the widow inside or not inside our borders. Um, she was rescued from the famine. People in Israel weren't. I'm for her. And that's when they got mad. Oh, that's mm-hmm. when they got very mad. <laughs> right? And so that's where we have to apply that to ourselves. Mm. Totally. You know? And we want God to be for us, for our tribe, for our side. But God, it's like when they, uh, Joshua encountered who I think was the pre-incarnate Christ mm-hmm. in Joshua 5. Mm-hmm. Are you for us? And he says, essentially, I don't have a side. I am my own side. I am my own side. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, I love that. God is for justice, period. Correct. There is no uh, asterisk mm-hmm. next to that. Mm-hmm. He is for justice. And so and, we have Palestinian uh, Christians right now who are literally in Gaza. I read this this morning. There's a church there that goes back to like 1100 AD. Mm. So that's almost a thousand years ago. And they showed a picture of it. It is just packed Mm. with Gazans. That is the safest place right now in Gaza, is in that church building, because they know uh, that um, Israel will not bomb that church. And I just think... We have to be mindful, first of all, there are Palestinian Christians that are living right in the midst of this conflict. We need to be praying for them. But to think that's what the church is supposed to be, a refuge in a safe place in the midst of the chaos. Yeah, and to your point, that doesn't mean that we bat an eye at evil or that we don't call things that are evil, evil. When we're called to love our enemies in the New Testament, that's not the New Testament saying that we cannot also pray for appeals for divine justice. God, God's wrath is directly correlated to the fact that he created human beings in his image and he loves them so much that when his children experience the ramifications of sin and suffering, that makes God angry. But we also have to remember that his anger is not like our anger. In fact, James says that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now that's a complex thing to tease out, obviously, because in other places we're called to be angry, but not sin. So maybe we can talk about that. What is the difference between God's anger and human anger? And how can we oftentimes be deceived with these visceral emotional responses, especially uh, that come and are, are seeking to be produced by the types of media that we consume that can fog the, the biblical clarity that we should be looking at these situations from? Oh, I completely, um, I think you're asking a great question that in and of itself, in light of the media today, the propaganda that is presented to us, it actually takes a lot of discernment to just be able to discern. Now, what Hamas did, that's pretty clear. That was just outright totally. evil. It's evil. Yes. And we can say that yes. Hamas, what they did is Utterly evil and deplorable. I heard a pastor say that Hamas is the Hebrew word for violence. It is. is. Right? I mean, so there you go. That, and they're Says just it putting all. it right out there. Yeah, This right. is what yeah. we're for. This is, who this we is are. what defines us. You want to know what my mission statement is? There it is. Yes, <laughs> totally. Exactly. And yeah. God is pro-life, and Hamas has literally said we exist for death. <laughs> we want death. If our children die, if our infants die, they're dying a martyr's death. For the glory of Allah. And we can say that those things are markedly different. And we can say that one idea or ideologue 
is evil and the other is not. Um, but again, we have to parse that out from the human beings who God has dis- bestowed his image on. So how do we do that? Yeah, and I will say from the seat that I sit, I have great empathy for Israel. And totally. just going over there the last 10 years to the conversations that I've had with many of them who've become good friends of mine, in this process, they have become quite strong. Pretty much the, the, they are the strong nation uh, in the Middle East right now. And so what they have to exercise in light of that strength is restraint. And that's how they talk about it. Like we have to constantly exercise restraint, restraint, restraint. But at some point in time, like what we watched, what we witnessed, what happened over a week ago, you know, there's a time when governments have to bring justice, you know, to, to Mm. evil. And so I want our people to know, like, I, I am, you know, not opposed to that. I'm just saying in light of all of this, let's resist the temptation too much to start demonizing one side or thinking one side is all good and another side is all evil. I look at our country. Um, these are things that I think about over the last hundred years in a much bigger way like Israel we went from being small to maybe being the the greatest, most powerful nation in the world, especially militarily. I want us to see people the way God sees people because we, if people saw us through our government, it wouldn't be pretty. Yeah, and I think that's the temptation of human beings, right, is to see people in this myopic way. It's a lot easier to just characterize someone uh, by those things that are easiest to label them with um, because it doesn't require what love would actually require, which is an investment in discernment and to who people actually are. Yeah, and it, it continues onward too. I mean, I feel like right now the West is, is bullying its ideology into places like Africa I have a pretty good friend there, Pastor Stephen, who is the archbishop in Uganda. And he literally had to break from the Anglican Church, of which he's the archbishop. And Anglicanism is the religion of of Uganda. Because the West, again, is saying this is what an Anglican is in terms of all the LBGTQ uh, theology. And my friend, Pastor Stephen, said, okay, you cross the line. We're done. This is not the church. This is not the Bible that we believe. And I think that's what's going to increasingly happen in culture today, um, to be pro-life or to be pro-reconciliation or pro the image of God, um, the God of the Bible, is going to constantly just cause tension and dissonance for us and for the people that we interact with on a day-to-day basis. And going all the way back to COVID, being willing to make hard calls, being willing to stand on what you feel convicted to and called to what is right, which I know Jim PRC has been battling for a long time in the cultural arenas of women's rights um, versus the right of the rights of the unborn, all of these things, what it means to be pro-life and how God's actually given all of us this ministry of reconciliation. That's what we're supposed to be about. And these this root cause in the Middle East goes all the way back to 
the stories in our text of Isaac and Ishmael. And I remember a few years ago, I read through Genesis with intention. um, And one of the most beautiful parts that struck me that I had never seen before, it's a very small detail, but that Isaac and Ishmael came together to bury their father after they'd been separated. Ishmael comes back from Hagar out of nowhere to bury his father and that together they did that. And so for this ministry of reconciliation, we can... We know governments have to do what they have to do. We know they're at a different you know, level of protection. They have different things that God's asked of them. And we're asked to just pray for the people that have been put in government because we know God puts all of those people in place, right? That's what Romans tells us. But um, our job then is to be for reconciliation. And that's what the New Testament, the kingdom of heaven, is all about God. And actually the whole story, God mm-hmm. reconciling his people to himself and then to each other. And that's pro-life, mm-hmm. right, Jim? Mm-hmm. Um, that's some of the things that you guys have to walk that fine line on when it comes to yeah. society today. Yeah, yeah and I look, at, um, I look at Jesus' mission statement when he, he says in front of, um, I suppose there are several texts that you could say Jesus is making his statement about his purpose, uh, but he's before Pilate. Mm. Uh, and he says, for this reason, the Son of Man has come to testify to the truth. That's why I'm here, to testify to the yeah. truth. Um, you're also ta- talking about Romans 15 and, and how God um, puts governments in place. Um, I, I like to tell people, uh, sort of jokingly, but really holding on to the truth of the proverb, uh, 21 uh, verse 1 says, he holds the hearts of kings in his hand and directs them where he wants to go, like, mm. like he directs a river. Yeah. And, and that reminds me of Habakkuk standing before the Lord and crying out, and go, how long are you going to make me look at this evil? How long am I going to have to endure this? And this is my paraphrase, of course, but uh, God answers Habakkuk and says, well, you pay attention because I'm about to do something that's going to blow your mind and you wouldn't get it. But I'll give you an uh, inkling of it is I'm going to use the most evil thing that you can imagine. Yeah. And that's going to usher in my justice. Yeah. That's going to usher in my purposes. Mm -hmm. And he ends by saying, well, I've I've heard of the wonderful things that you've done, you know, in, in the past. Do them in our day. And that's, that's my heart, yeah. is that um, we would trust a God like that, who is way bigger than all of these politics, way bigger than all of these countries and their leaders who think they are in control, that he is sovereign over all of that. Mm-hmm. And it brings it right down to sovereign over the womb. Yes. Right? Because he had every one of those people in mind. Our destiny is to worship um, with those from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Um, we need to see them the way God sees them today and sort of with him rise above all of the anger, all of the rhetoric, all of the politics and say, I see you and God sees you. And Jesus came that you would have this life, but that you would have it abundantly. Can I tell you about that? Right. I mean, that's that's the ministry of reconciliation. I love it. So could you flesh out what that looks like? Because you live in the tension of those two worlds every single day. Obviously, we all do in our own ways. Mm-hmm. But when you think about the type of work that God has put you yeah. in a position to oversee, I mean, you're right next to a Planned Parenthood. So right. you walk into work every single day and you see a visual representation of the two worlds colliding, this world that is deceived and then your ministry, which is seeking to speak truth and love and life um, to counteract 
yeah. those deceptions. <laughs> so what is that like? And well, yeah, let's talk about the choice yeah. of um, people making abortion. So here's here's my bias, you guys, is I don't believe any woman woke up on the morning of her abortion appointment, if she was able to sleep that night, um, and said, oh, yippee, the day's finally here. Yeah, I get to go do this thing that I've been so looking forward to. I don't believe that's in her heart. I believe what is in her heart is confusion, um, doubt, fear, embarrassment, you name it. But she feels that this is something she has to choose. So, um, and Teresa Burke is a woman who worked with a lot of post-abortive, um, did a lot of post-abortive counseling with women and men. And she said, I never came upon somebody who, ch- who made the choice of abortion. Like you might decide where to go to dinner tonight or a new car or what flavor of ice cream I'm going to have. She chooses it more like an animal who has stepped in a trap mm. and would gnaw off their foot mm. to, to get free. So like I'd rather walk with a limp, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So that to me is the tone and tenor of stepping into a conversation with a woman um, who feels like this is the best or only option that I have. So how do we step into that? I want to talk about abortion in the church because we have to. And that January, when I spoke uh, three, four years ago now, I shared some data that abortion is as prevalent in the church as outside the church. Now, right here in Grand Rapids, um, Dr. Thomas Gordon, our abortion doctor in this community, passed away at the end of August. Hmm. But he is somebody for whom many of us on the pro-life team were praying that he would see um, the love of Christ for him, right? We prayed for him not to stop doing abortions. We prayed for him to bend his knee to Christ. Mm. And then we knew, you know, God would do the work uh, that he needed to do. We don't know if he made that decision before he passed away on August 25th this this summer. Um, That already, though. But I do know. You're not demonizing him. You're still saying, God. Yeah. Rescue him. Yeah. Redeem him. Restore him. Yeah. Well, I have a board member who coined it this way. When we would pray for those in the abortion industry and next door to us at at Planned Parenthood, um, we pray for the POWs there, Um, not the evil people there, right? We're praying. And and think about what that does to your heart and what that does to your prayer life when you're praying for a POW. Hmm. Because we are in war. There is a battle for life, a battle for death. The enemy hates human life. It bears the image of the one that he disdains. And he wants to, I mean, Revelation 12 is that story of, of Mary, Joseph, and he gets the vision and they, they, are, they make the flight to Egypt, right? And the red dragon isn't able to snuff out that child. But what does he do? He stands at the shore of the sea and cries out in a loud voice and purposes himself to go after all of those who would come to follow the Christ. Yeah. Right. And that's us. So we know we're targeted. But I was talking about Dr. Gordon and how we wanted to see him come to Christ, who loves him. Somebody invited him to church. Um, seeing him there in the morning, getting out of his car, you got like a 20 second window of opportunity to talk to him. Dr. Gordon, would you ever coming, uh, consider come, coming to church with me? And Dr. Gordon stopped, turned around, looked at that woman, and said, Mary, um, I would consider coming to church with you when your church stops coming to me. Hmm. Wow. You got to let that sink in a minute. Yeah. He's going, I'm getting paid to hold the secrets. 
mm-hmm. of the good Christian people in this community. And there's data to, pack, to back that up. Mm. Let me unpack this a minute. Yeah, it's stunning. Um, there are about, there are less than a million now, but there are on average are about a million abortions every year in our nation. A Lifeway, a Lifeway study several years ago, uh, surveyed a cross-section of women who had received abortions and discovered that 40% of them were from Protestant, evangelical, church-going families. They were in church two or more Sundays in the last four weeks. If you add in Christmas and Easter and non-regular attenders who still say, yeah, I have a church, I'm Christian, it gets up to 66% of women who had abortions are, are, are... are being raised up, are attending churches where they should, quote unquote, know better, right? They should hear that life is sacred, created in the image of God. So you've got about a million, 40% of them is the low number. So that's 400,000 abortions every year are coming directly out of the church. Now do the math on how much it costs. You want to talk about impacting or defunding the abortion industry? We have to start at home. And that's what Dr. Gordon is saying. You have an image problem. Wow. Right? You have a reputation problem because we see you coming from churches. So um, the average cost of an abortion is about 500 bucks. And if you do the math, you want to do it on the calculator because you lose track of the zeros, but it ends up being $200 million annually, conservatively, remember I'm using the lower figure, is coming from churched families. So again, if you want to impact financially the abortion industry, if you want to impact just the, the reputation of God's people with respect to this. So how do, how do, we, um, how do we change that? Um, Trig, I was talking to you. Um, I, think church, I think a church like Crossroads is uniquely equipped to be a pro-life church in a different way. There are many churches, PRC and other pregnancy centers, are supported by churches who say— um, would you come and speak about the good stuff that you do in January because it's Sanctity of Human Life Month, or we send you a check every month or every quarter or we do this thing annually for you. That's fantastic. Love that. But the churches that, um, that find it easy to say we're pro-life because we're going to throw money at it and go, Jim, you and your team, you're doing a great job. Keep it up down there. Uh, when we've got this going on inside the walls, if we're not talking about it. So to me, I said to the team a number of years ago, we're going to stop treating the church like an ATM machine, right? Like if, if we partner with the church, and if I get $1,000 a year from you know, all these churches, I'll be able to you know, figure this much into my budget. Let's stop asking the churches for money. Um, Let's instead ask them to think about where can you take your pro-life stance. I talked to you, Trig, about the pro-life message not being something once a year or even a few times a year, but it's a thread. It's a thread mm-hmm. that gets pulled through student ministries. Yeah. Why are the young people not hearing uh, about sex and relationship from God's perspective? The proactive education piece that we do. Um, it gets pulled through women's Bible study. Are there, if that percentage is true, are there women in this congregation who have had abortions? Statistically, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And some of you may, may know those stories. And sometimes pastors don't want to go there because they don't want to pick on that wound. But there's a, there's a healing that Christ wants to Correct. do there. So every time we talk about abortion is wrong, we have to talk about 
God's forgiveness and healing for those who have experienced that. So continue to pull that thread through men's ministry. How many guys have been part of that? We have a fundraising dinner coming up, and our featured speaker is a guy who in college got his girlfriend pregnant and paid for her to have an abortion. And he's talked about how he's had to walk through that pain as a post-abortive guy. Do we even talk about that? Do we even talk about the fact that it affects men, right? And then, of course, in the preaching and the teaching, but for parents— um, and just like if we pulled this thread through all that we're doing in congregations, the message becomes we don't want you in this situation, right? Because sex is a gift that God gives a man and a woman in a marriage. Right? Mm-hmm. That's God's plan. Mm-hmm. But if you are in that situation, abortion is not going to be the answer because this is a church who will love you right where you are. We will walk with you. We will support you. And we will demonstrate the sanctity of that human life. Can I take it a step further? I, I please. Because <laughs> I have a question. A step further. For you. This is really personal. Hold your question. Yeah. Um, but this is really personal to the Sprags. So my oldest, Jacob, um, I, I mentioned earlier that we adopted all of our kids out of unplanned crisis pregnancy situations. He was born to a 16 year old girl, hmm. sophomore in high school. So the demographic here. She, gets, she tells the story how she became pregnant. First time she'd had sex was in the back seat of the car. First time for the boy. The car was in the church parking lot after youth group. Okay? Mm-hmm. Church family. Yeah. So it fits that demographic. She gets pregnant, doesn't tell anybody. Doesn't tell mom. Doesn't tell her best girlfriend. Doesn't tell the boy. Doesn't tell the volleyball coach when she just decides diving around on a gym floor is probably not a great idea. And... She hides her pregnancy. They take her to the hospital, thinking that her maybe her appendix had burst, and the doctor comes out and says, oh, no, she's in labor. She's what? pregnant. That's the first anybody knew. That's my son, Jacob. And I'm telling this story, recording it, knowing that this is going to pl- get played. Jacob knows the story. He's given permission. But the rest of the story is February of 2020, he comes home. He lives in the area. He comes over. He says, I got to talk to you. I'm thinking, hmm, Okay. <laughs> sits us down and he says, you know, uh, my new girlfriend, yeah, I haven't met her yet. Remind me of her name. Her name's Danny. Well, she's pregnant. Oh, okay. So what are you guys, what are you guys doing? So tell me about that. And he said, Dad, I'm really sorry, you know, that we're in that situation. This is a kid who was in our education program at PRC and had kind of promoted that. Obviously yeah. didn't, you know. But he knew that abortion was not going to be the response. Mm. He's a pro-life kid. Mm-hmm. And he says to me, Dad, I'm not sure what Danny might do. So can we come to the PRC tomorrow for an ultrasound? Because she needs to see this baby. And that's the first picture I have of my granddaughter, Remy, who is mm. three, year old, three years old today. Because they chose life. And it's been an uphill road for them. You know, yeah. young couple, they're not, they didn't get married. You know, they're, they're, they're working it out, but they are committed to this, to this girl, and that's my granddaughter. Wow. So here's, in the church, we don't want to be in that situation, but when we are, we have to lean in. Absolutely. And I'll tell you, it is surreal to work at a pregnancy center, meet the woman who is carrying your grandchild for the very first time in the reception area, and then watch the team that you work with every day, take her back, the door closes, and you're like, wow, I'm being served here. Yes. No longer am I serving. I am now, 
I am yes. now a client. Wow. And I'll tell you, uh, the team was amazing. And um, my granddaughter's on there. I could show you all kinds of pictures. But Comes full circle. The, yeah. So here we are trying to live the truth that people matter to God and lean in. And so I share that as an example of anybody who uh, is in a church community has to be able to say, we don't want you in that situation, but if you are, we're going to lean in because we don't want to add to that statistic, add to that reputation that the church says one thing on this issue, but does something else and pays a man to hold that secret and walk away with that. I don't know how many secrets Dr. Gordon took to his grave. Wow. Okay, so now I have two questions. Yes, now you got two of them. First question, <laughs> why is the church the way it is in light of what you're talking about? The secrets, the hiding. Mm-hmm. I think about all those things like shame, guilt, fear. Those are all seeds of the enemy. They certainly are. You know, and and answer that question. Why? Well, I think you're answering it. Yeah. Um, we're not supposed to be in that, that situation. We're supposed to know better. Mm-hmm. And um, there is a lie that we've believed, right, that if we go through this procedure or take this pill or, you know, have this happen, um, life's going to go back to the way it was before the pregnancy occurred. That's, I think, the lie that we're swallowing right along with that abortion pill is, oh, this would be great. And that's the message out there is, I mean, go to these websites for the abortion pill. They actually lead with the tagline, safer than Tylenol. Well, oh, really? You know, so there's there's a lie that I think we're believing in the church that um, um, that this is the answer versus bringing it into the light. So we we choose to operate in secrecy and in darkness where the enemy, you know, kind of owns that space versus the light. You know, Jesus is always referred to or often referred to as the light. And we bring things into the light, and he makes them visible. And that's where, that's where God's people, God's church can go to work <clears throat> and go to work bringing reconciliation. For sure. Mm-hmm. Second question, what would be your dream for a church? And I'm asking that now as a pastor of a church. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you suggested earlier, <clears throat> I could see something new for Crossroads or, or different at this church. And... So I'm asking it from that angle, but what would be your dream for the church today in light of this reality in terms of how we can bring healing, reconciliation, um, be a culture of life and not a culture of death? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, the whole sex talk is a a curriculum that we put together for churches, uh, for parents in churches to raise kids to embrace uh, a biblical view of sex and relationships. And the reason we called it the whole sex talk was we didn't want mom and dad to gear up for that one weekend, that Mm -hmm. one night, we're going to go out to dinner, we're going to have the conversation, and you come home and check the box. And it's like, we did it, you know, high five each other. You know, we got through that. We have to be willing to step into hard conversations on an ongoing basis and Mm -hmm. and build those kind of relationships. Mm Because um, there's so much more um, in terms of lies coming at our, our families these days about, you know, what is a human being? We're back to that. Well, you, you know, in the text it says male and female, he created them, right? But 
boy, we're we're seeing all kinds of you know continuum now develop out of that, and and uh, and secrecy and the wedges between parents, you know, uh, and their kids, and um, so my desire would be to see um, a church that really elevates family and understands that it's hard today uh, to raise young people. Um, and even those, you can see families that have done, you know, the same thing with two kids and one of them embraces it and one of, it do- one of them doesn't. But at the end of the day, I think parents need to be able to sit back and go, we were all in, yeah. you know, we had the tools and we used them and we, we did everything we could. Obviously kids make their own decisions. Um, but um, they're not over here because they didn't know or they didn't hear. And so um, I think I was hitting on it earlier, too, to say, um, let's pull the thread through, you know, that, that sanctity of human life and talking about life isn't something that we do just because we're in Genesis, you know, 126 and 7. Yes. Uh, it's something that we do all the time because people matter and they matter to God in every life stage that they're in uh, and every tongue, tribe and nation. And. That's why I said that I think Crossroads is teed up to be that. You are being that kind of church, um, as opposed to other churches that I've experienced and, and some where I've been a part of that are happy to say, a boy, you know, down there on Cherry Street, they're getting it done, and that's great, and we feel good about writing a check and helping them do that. That's good to a degree. Um, but they don't really want to enter into hard conversations. I sat down with a pastor once, Rod, who said, you know, everything you said, I agree with, and it makes perfect sense to me. But, you know, you just don't know our families. They're just really good families, and we're just not going to see these uh, unplanned pregnancies. You know, our kids aren't having sex. And I thought, here's my card. Uh, <laughs> put, that, put that in your drawer, and, uh, you know, we can talk if that ever changes. But I, I hope you're right, Pastor. But it's, you know, in, in that situation, it's sort of like, would you take the blinders off and kind of really dig in, talk to your you know, your youth uh, uh, team and like, what's going on? What are these kids going through? What kind of homes are they in? And what are they vulnerable to? And how are we coming alongside that and giving a message of love? And it's the, the message of the sanctity of human life is not to be anti-abortion. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's to be pro-life and life abundantly. Yes. I think the sanctity of human life and the gospel are, are to be woven together. And I think that's what you see in John 10, 10. Life and abundant life. I am the author of life, but I'm here to give you life beyond life. Life to the full. Which brings us back to, we don't have to go there again, but <laughs> both of these two conversations that we've had today are totally intertwined because it's not just life in the womb and then outside of the womb. It's every life from every tribe, tongue, nation. Is this stirring anything for yeah, you? Yeah, like I just want to step in. This, I'm the only female sitting around this table, yeah. and I do feel like um, women have a super unique opportunity to partner with God in being bringers of life. Mm. And I know, obviously, you mentioned that men also have a role in that. But those nine months, you know, when a baby is growing in your womb, and if you're in the right space, you're thinking about God. And his hands, like we talked about on Sunday, actually in there just weaving and knitting together a child. And then how how that is just such a core part of who we are and who we were created to be. On the flip side, it's it's a core source of pain 
um, for so many, for women who would want to have children who can't, women who you've talked about have found themselves in a situation where they maybe were pregnant and it was shameful or awkward or they felt, um, you know, like it should be hidden. Um, or then, I mean, you could take it, women who have children that have died, women who have had abortions, and then all that post-abortive trauma that it brings into their life. So what you just said at the end is that we would have life and have it to the fullest. And how we've talked about already in this Genesis series that all of life is choices. So you can either bring bringing shalom to those situations or you can be bringing chaos. And I think especially women, we can be agents of peace and shalom and life bringing or we can be agents of chaos and death bringing. And we have that unique sense of calling on our lives, but I'm, I'm thinking about Paula, I know you know her too, who runs the post abortive retreats here and how that life to the fullest means whatever spectrum you're on as a woman in that, in that, if you've wanted to have kids, but couldn't, or if you've had kids and felt that joy and had one walk away or, um, be strained in their faith, or if you've had children that have died, or if you've had abortions, God's hope for you and his heart for you is that you would have life to the fullest. And he's here to weave those threads back together and have that be a part of your story and then have that be a part of your street corner, that you would be able to be an agent of shalom for other women in those situations because it is so personal and unique. It's like woven in our DNA to be life givers. And so when we become death dealers, um, it's such a betrayal to who we are. There, there's no no possibility that that wouldn't cause deep, deep trauma um, in our identity and who we are. And so God um, in his plan and his mercy um, provides covering for all of that. Libby, and that's so good. I, I, I've often thought about uh, abortion for the man and for the woman and how it it destroys the image of God in a man mm. and a woman mm-hmm. because a man is to be the defender, the protector, and God does that for us, right? I am your shield, right? And so he's yielded that and he's failed in that mm. because his child was aborted. And the woman to be the life giver, and that's who, that's the image of God in a woman as well. Um, and now she's not. You know, she made a decision uh, to end that life. Um, and we have to. We have to bring shalom into into that chaos. Mm. I, I love that you've been drilling that home, Rod, because that is so helpful. Wherever we see chaos, are we being agents of shalom and stepping into that? And I think this issue is 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 uh, particularly deep uh, with with those opportunities. So and I say, at the heart of the shalom is a God who wants to make peace mm-hmm. and a God who wants to reconcile, who does it in Christ, which means we shouldn't have to live secret and shameful lives. Mm. We don't need to hide our sin and shame. We have a place to bring it. We have a God to bring it to, and then we ought to be a community of people who aren't like, oh my goodness, like you did that? Or like, no, we're, we're looking at people the way we even look at ourselves, like we're desperate for God. And, you know, and there's a God that, forgives us and restores us and redeems us who wants to so i have a question for you pastor um what what would you say to um those in the congregation who are struggling with that decision right now or have gone through that decision yeah that's where i just think about jesus 
mm-hmm. and think about all that Jesus is and why he came to the world. And, you know, we, we all have reasons for shame and guilt because of decisions that we've made. And Jesus came to the world to deal with this, to deal with our sin, to deal with our shame at the deepest levels. He's the one that knows us to the bottom of our souls and loves us to the skies. And that's what the cross is. It's, that's what Jesus is. He lived the life that we were supposed to live. He died the death that we deserve to die. He did all of that in our place. And then you ask, what's the why behind that amazing what? It's because he loves us, because he loves us. And therefore, like, we don't have to live in sin. We don't have to live in shame. We don't have to live in secret. And I think this goes beyond. I mean, I think all sexual sin, uh, pornography, I I think Mm -hmm. there's so many people today that just live with closets full of, of just shame and darkness related to that. And the enemy, he's brilliant, isn't he? I mean taking this weapon of sexuality, which is a gift from God, perverting it, twisting it just a little bit, using all the media today and the messages that we can be and do whatever we want, you know, and yet that betrays God and God's laid out the way, the path to life. And I think sexuality is one of those big weapons that the enemy has used and it's caused a lot of Christians to live in secret and therefore in shame when we actually have a cross that we can bring this to um, where we can get healed. And we don't have to do this individually, you know? We need each other in this. We're all in the same boat. I was gonna actually add to that in the sense for our church for Crossroads, I would hope that it would be the place where people wouldn't feel like they would have to hide or they would have to live in shame because the secret is really the power, right? As soon mm-hmm. as you break the power of a secret. And there's no abundant life. There's no abundant that, life yeah. living in a dualistic, secretive, double scenario, you know, that people live in so so often when it comes to sin. If they're going to a church and they're living in sin, they're just living two lives and that's just painful. There's no peace there. And so I would hope that Crossroads would be the place where whatever you're struggling with, that we say these things were were raw, simple, restful, and real. This is a place where you can come and be real. There's nothing you can say that we haven't heard or that we haven't experienced ourselves. Um, But this is a place where you can come and you can repent. And we talk about repentance at Crossroads of being such a joy. And we always think there's a lot of shame in repentance, like I did something wrong and now I have to repent. We'd like to switch the culture of that here at Crossroads and say, yes, you've done something wrong, but you have a father waiting on the porch, and the repentance itself is the joy. You get to actually run back to that porch and be embraced by your father, and that's a beautiful thing. It's not a shameful thing to have to do. It's a joyful thing that you get to do because God loves you so, so much. So the secrets and those kinds of things I'd love to be able to break, and I know that's the church has a history of secrets and so hopefully um, we can be a place where people can be real because that hiding and that shame, we're going to get there in a couple chapters in Genesis, that's our natural response. Um, when we do something wrong, we saw it with, we'll see it with Adam and Eve. They, they hide and they're in shame. And, and God's question is, where are you? Where are you? I'm still here. 
where are you? Where are you? Mm. And um, we belong in relationship with God. And so the quicker we can get rid of those things and bring them into the light and experience the forgiveness of God, the more life and abundance is restored. And and let me, I, I have two thoughts to take that illustration even further. God's not sitting in the chair on the porch. He's getting off the porch and he's taking off his sandals and he's running as fast as he can Mm -hmm. towards us as we run to him that he's not just waiting for us but the moment we turn he's chasing us down with a kiss on the cheek okay another question that i wanted to get to because i think this one's really important and i think as the enemy is a liar and he uh, it's one of the most profound lies and footholds that he has in this entire conversation, specifically around the issue of abortion. And that is responding to the sin of um, sexual assault. And this is a very practical conversation. It's a raw conversation. And even if you have to turn this podcast off right now, because this just alone being mentioned is difficult, we totally understand that. But for those that are interested, how might we as the church respond to the lie that we respond to violence with more violence by allowing the exception of abortion under circumstances where an unplanned pregnancy came at the hands of someone, God forbid, within their own family or because of rape? I know that this is extremely difficult for me to talk about it with two little daughters and for anybody to talk about, but could serve people well. So how have you at PRC and your staff sought to speak to that conversation? Yeah, so um, you, you've hit on it already, Trig, by um, prefacing that question is to um, abort the, the, the innocent um, result of this rape, right? The, the, the child that was conceived was, um, because to, to have that child become a victim through, through abortion is really a, a double down on the violence. The first thing we have to do is acknowledge the violence of that, that act and what happened. And I think that person needs to be, you know, held accountable. And, um, that's the one that needs to suffer the consequences for that violence, not the, not the baby who didn't do anything wrong. Um, but it is loaded with emotion. And um, there is, as you said, and you put it in your question, is there, there is a lie that, well, you'll feel better then, right? So why should you be forced to have a child um, that you didn't want and was forced uh, upon you? Um, it, it is a tremendously tricky and difficult question to press into. But here's what I can tell you is, um, that as I read scripture and I read stories of people whose wombs were closed and wombs were opened miraculously, um, I, I can't get my mind around the number of, of times a baby isn't conceived, right? But I can tell you that every time one is, we have to say, is God sovereign over that womb or not? Mm-hmm. And we don't like the fact that this was conceived, this child was conceived in rape. We don't like that. That's awful. That's terrible for that woman. Um, but it means life to that baby. I've met many people who were products of rape who can say, my father was a rapist. 
and they look at me and they say, are you going to tell me that my life has less value because of how I was conceived? Mm. Should abortion, should I have been aborted because of how I was conceived? So um, that's another hard question to tag on to that conversation is what do you say to people who are conceived in mm. rape? Like they don't matter. I go back to the sovereignty of God and how he is sovereign over the womb. He wanted that baby. Uh, imagine the, the rapes that occur where there isn't a pregnancy as a result. But there, uh, there was a child in this situation. I believe he wanted that child. We need to console that woman. We need to coach her and love her. That is awful. Uh, we need to give her every possible resource. Again, can the church be a place to come in and around her um, and, and walk through this, this terrible uh, violence that's occurred to her? Um, we do that in other situations. We walk with people who are experiencing tremendously difficult life circumstances. Um, we should lean into her and, and help her. She may decide to parent, um, but she may decide you know, to place that child in a, in a home, um, which I can say is a great thing as an adoptive dad. Um, we never, we never conceived somebody else did and they weren't planning on it. And those are my kids. So adoption, I think is one thing we have to probably talk more about Yeah, as people of faith. Um, cause again, I go back to my enlightenment about, uh, letting adoption enter into my thought process of becoming a dad. Um, it is God's design. That is how we become children of God is he picks us out. I used to say to my kids when they were little, you know, we live near Beltline and Three Mile, and I used to say, if you took all the four-year-old kids and lined them all up and down the Beltline, all the kids in the world, I'd walk up and down that road until I found you. <laughs> and I want you to be my kid because that's what happened to them. Yeah. Does that sound familiar, Libby? Yeah, I had a dad that said the same thing. Did you? Yeah, yeah. Uh Um, Yeah, I just think that ultimately um, it's tough to talk about sitting around a table here um, in the safety of the relationships that we're in um, Mm -hmm. versus a woman who's been through the trauma of a violent sexual assault. But ultimately, while we can live in that pain with her we we all have to bend the knee before a god who's sovereign a god who is a life giver a god who is a womb weaver and say that regardless of how this happened you are redeeming that situation and bringing life out of yeah. it you and that's an issue right? yeah I if mean, you're chaos how do we well, speak shalom how god can that? take i mean we we see this all through the scripture mm-hmm. where there's terrible things that are happening and even the story that you opened with with your friend dwight who died but out of that came life for you mm. and how god is a god of making a way where there is no way and so if we can walk with women and just show them who God is and that he's the redeemer, he's the restorer, he's the one that is the creator, he's the one that's the resurrector. And if they can experience those things in their life um, in maybe the act of bringing forth a child, that that would turn a whole situation like that around. That's the kind of God that we have. And um, that's the kind of scenario that the world doesn't believe 
can actually happen, that bad things are bad and that you should just get rid of them and you should sweep these things under the rugs. But as believers, we have a God who's bringing life out of death mm-hmm. and, uh, and good out of bad. Mm-hmm. And so what a joy it would be to walk through that. But it's so easy to say, again, sitting around this table. Um, so it's, it's, I hesitate to even say it, um, but that's, that's the reality of the God of Scripture. I appreciate you saying that because it is easy to say in this context. Um, but I haven't gotten a call from my, my daughter, mm. you know, who in tears says, this is what happened to me, mm. you know? And I know there are probably dads listening to this who, yeah. who have. Yeah, for sure. Um, but where is our hope? You mm-hmm. know, our hope is <clears throat> in a sovereign God who sent Jesus to say, yep, I see the chaos and here I am. I am Shalom. Mm. Yeah. And then when you, now my mind is back that church in Gaza, Mm. that is the body of Jesus. Mm. So Jesus works out his love and grace through his church. And that's again, like to live into this, that's a picture of what the church needs to be. It's just that place of refuge for people that are just in that chaos. Move straight into the darkness and light it up with Christ. Be that city set on a hill. I even I was even thinking too. I wasn't I didn't know you were going to go here, Trig. Um you know, we have terms for people like that today. Um and which just speak to people the like to love. evil and human in the human yeah. heart. Um, you know, some wonder if Jesus was a momser because they didn't know how Mary got pregnant and Joseph was in a precarious situation. But to think that the God of the universe even went to that extent where that label could have been placed on him it just shows you how much he loves us and is still even saying, I want to go into all of it and I'm going to become all of it. Get it. I, I get it. I'm walking in that, these shoes. Um, yeah. And so we should be a congregation that is not detached from the wounds and pain that people are walking through, the, the shame that they're dealing with. Uh, we should move eagerly in, even if it's un, unclean or unsafe in air quotes, for us to do that, even if it makes us uncomfortable because Christ became uncomfortable, not just uncomfortable, but he literally was crucified in pain and sorrow um, so that we would know that we don't serve a detached God. And so if we're supposed to be representatives or going back to the image of God conversation, we're little icons, little statues of that God. Mm-hmm. I think that's the vision that I get in my pick in my mind is crossroads being a body of believers that moves into that chaos and is like hey we're we're gonna stand next to you and actually bring shalom to this but the answer for you if you've been put in this precarious position is not to add more chaos to chaos uh, but to hang on and know that you serve a god who is with you um, and not just with you but became like you and that's the power of the incarnation <laughs> Yeah, and to be that and to do that, it's going to take a lot of courage, a lot of guts. And I just want to say this to you, Jim. Like, that's what I see in your life. A ton of courage. 
just a lot of guts. You're, you're living into the chaos with such boldness and love, love and boldness. Mm. It's inspiring. Wow, thank, you. Thank, you. thank you. Thank you to you. One uh, thought, when, when you talk about um, courage, um, again in Revelation 21, um, is the picture of the new heaven and the new earth and all that we're going to receive, that um, there'll no longer be need for the sun because God will be their light, right? And this is, this is our inheritance. This is the picture. And then in verse 8, um, John's description takes another um, you know, severe turn and talks about those who won't inherit this. And it's the liars, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers and all of that. But the first word that he lists um, of people who won't, if they're unrepentant uh, of those, those sins, uh, the first descriptor is um, the coward, the, the cowardly, the mm-hmm. fearful. Mm-hmm. And you're right, Libby, there's some, somebody told me that there's one other place where that word is used in the Greek, and it's the story of Jesus being asleep in the boat. And the disciples are freaked out. And they wake him up, and he's like, why are you cowardly? Why are you fearful? I'm with you. Yeah. So, Rod, I received that, that blessing from you, that encouragement from you. We are trying, I am trying to step into these hard conversations. And, Trig, thank you for asking hard questions, you know, because we have to um, not shy away from that. So, so my final thought and encouragement to all of us here, but all of us at Crossroads, is to um, not cower away from this topic um, of life. How is the church, and our church in particular, going to embrace the sanctity of human life? We must, because it is so intertwined with the gospel. Mm -hmm. How are people ever going to know and have an eternal relationship with a creator if they're not given life? And that's been his plan. And so we, we have to not cower away from that, not be fearful because he is with us. We can step into it, and he will speak shalom into the chaos. It's all connected. And we're standing on the shoulders of people, generations mm. that have gone before us that mm-hmm. have boldly stood for Christ, his kingdom, mm. uh, the sanctity of life. Going back all the way to the first Christians, mm. they were known, first of all, to... Uh, not be about infanticide, which was a Roman practice mm. during that period as their form of abortion. But they were also took it that other step. They'd go to the garbage dumps and listen to the cries mm-hmm. of those abandoned babies mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and bring them home. And they adopted them. They adopted they them. They adopted in. them. And that's why Paul said to the Ephesians, yeah. your inheritance is secure because legally an adopted kid could not have their inheritance cut off. Do you understand the significance of being? That's what got me into the adoption camp was your inheritance yes. is more of a guarantee than being born into a family because that dad could still turn his back on you and mm-hmm. cut you off, mm-hmm. which is what, what makes the prodigal son story so Amazing. radical yes. is he didn't turn his back on a he son didn't. who treated him rudely. He still welcomed him. But that adoption piece, we've this isn't new. This yeah. is just our turn. This is just this generation's turn to stand in the gap. The it baton, goes all the way back to yep. the Hebrew midwives, right? Standing yeah. in the gap for life. Yes. Right? And now the baton is in our hands. It's our time it's to our run turn. the race. It's our turn. Yeah. Yeah. And the, I just love where you ended. 
uh, for so many reasons, Jim. And then I want to get to some practical stuff for our, uh, our people here at Crossroads. But um, I love how you prefaced it with those things are only true for the unrepentant, that we do serve a God that is running towards the sexually immoral, the cowardly, all those things. You know, Jesus obviously sends out the very disciples that were cowardly in that moment. And so don't you hear for a second that this conversation, which is happening in the safety of a sound padded room, that um, we want to be detached from these things or that God is even detached from these things, but he is near as we just learned a few weeks ago in Genesis chapter two. And let's be honest, like why has the church cared about these things? Why do we care about these things? It's not because we're so good. It's because we once were orphaned. We once were steeped in sin and shame. The POWs. Yes. Exactly. We've experienced the Father mm-hmm. and His totally. love and His redemption. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I am the Lord your God who led you out of Egypt. Mm. That's who I am. That's who He is to all of us. We've all been left led out of slavery and bondage to our own sin. And so if, if you're even a woman that has went through an abortion and you go to crossroads, you are so loved and wanted and desired to be in community here, mm-hmm. to live a life and life to the full here. You are forgiven. And if you're Christ, a man who was yeah. part of that whole process and you feel the guilt and shame, uh, the same thing. Yeah. Like if you're steeped in pornography, if you've committed adultery, any sexual sin that the enemy wants to hold over your head and keep you enslaved to, mm-hmm. um, God wants to call you out in Christ and he's paid for it all on the cross. And that's why I'm so excited to be a part of a body here. You know, we're not unique Christians all across the globe are standing for these things, Jim, but you did encourage me last week when we sat down and have a conversation of the ways that crossroads without any advertisement, has been deeply invested already in the work at PRC. And I know you wanted to briefly touch on that. So in one big ball, tell us about, encourage us with that. And then also tell us how we could maybe get more involved in the mission at PRC. Sure. Um, PRCforlife.org is our website, and there's a Get Involved um, link there, and that would connect you with Bev Zoll, our volunteerism director. And so she has a whole process of just like hearing your heart and assessing what your gifts are, what your time uh, availability is, what your interest is, and we'd love to get you plugged in. And of course, there's, there's ways to give and support the PRC as well. But um, speaking of giving in the uh, in the summer, always Father's Day weekend, the Saturday of Father's Day weekend, we have uh, a walk for life. And I'm starting to call it the prayer walk for life because we stop at um, the places where death is promoted and happens in our city. And we pray life and speak life over those those locations, the current abortion clinic, the former abortion clinic. And then at, at PRC, uh, right next to us is Planned Parenthood. And so... Um, People come and they pray, but they also give. Uh, so it is a fundraiser for us. Uh, summer is uh, kind of a low time for, for giving. Uh, the pastoral team is, yeah, you know, I can relate to that in, in churches as well. In Michigan, everybody, you know, kind of runs up north and to do whatever. Um, but uh, so we have this fundraiser on Father's Day weekend, and I was happy to tell you, Trig, last week when we met that um, 
there is an award. Uh, we actually named it after somebody who passed away was was very involved with the walk for years and years and years. Dave Banker, and so the the Dave Banker uh, Memorial Award goes to the church, uh, whose people raise the most money for that event, and over $29,000 was raised uh, from the people of Crossroads mm. that you probably didn't even know about. Mm-mm, I didn't. Right? Yeah. Just people that uh, attend here, and so when they register, we just ask them to write, what church do you attend? And so that's kind of how we collect that. Um, and so I was just super encouraged that, oh, like, oh, that's where I'm going to church, you know? And so the, the people here, um, you know, it's obviously very supportive of the mission. Awesome. Yeah. Was cool, brother. Be encouraged. Keep running the race. You run it very, very well. Mm, thank you, you inspire us. Thank you, thank you. Well, it's been great um, to be here to sit under your teaching and others. Um, and uh, looking at you, Treg. Um, I don't know where you found this guy, but what a live wire! <laughs> just gifted and anointed you and Dan and and others that that step up. I uh, just love the way that you handle the Word of God. Um, with grace. Bless God. Yeah. Yeah. I have some ideas, though, from this. Okay. I mean, these, these have been percolating a little bit over the last two years. I've been on this mission. I feel like the generation coming up, maybe this is my youth pastor roots. Uh, come, I'm, you know, I was a youth pastor for 10, 10 years, and that's I coached football for the same reason. <laughs> like, yeah. I just feel like we're not doing enough. I feel like we need to get in the game. Mm. And this applies to our whole church. We need to give people more than experience. People do need to be indoctrinated with the truth. The Bible is a story, but it also gives us a worldview, mm. mm-hmm. a, a view of how to look at ourselves, others, our world. And I don't think we're hitting the mark there mm-hmm. yet. Well, the reality is people are being indoctrinated, but yeah. it's not by us. Yeah, oh. so people are going well, to be ouch. indoctrinated. Yeah. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. And whether it comes, we could go back to the Middle East conflict, like we're listening to media sources who are professional using their rhetoric and words to convince us of their worldview. Mm-hmm. And same goes for our kids mm-hmm. with social media, the educational systems, the, all of that identity stuff seeping in. So if the church isn't as loud, we won't be the voice that matters. Mm-hmm. So we have to get better at that. Yeah, and I would say, too, I did youth ministry before I had kids, and now I've had kids. And so I'm looking at this differently. But I've, I've had dreams, too, of like bringing parents and students together to learn a Christian view of the world. Hmm. And now you're giving a piece of that pie earlier in this session. Mm-hmm. So I just... Some thoughts are going, and I'm just going to add one more piece. We're an organic church, a kingdom mm-hmm. of priests, mm-hmm. where a lot of this stuff is bubbled up through our people and the dreams. So maybe cue, there needs to be the a pro- co- cue the promo trick. Are you? Gonna, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, our well, to- is going to be uh, well. The, your staff is putting together an elective for Crossroads that we're working on in the background right now. I wish everybody could see my face right now. <laughs> <laughs> you Which can picture it. I'm sure. Two, three to four weeks, yeah. and I've task Jim just to create that curriculum and figure out what that would look like in three to four weeks and so just stay tuned we're gonna take some time not me I'm not doing the the work behind the scenes but you guys are uh, and then that will be coming forth that will be something that will be accessible hopefully in the spring so wow this is 
I mean, mm-hmm. this is, again, another example of we're just pawns, mm-hmm. and God is the chess player, and mm-hmm. he's just, really. he's moving things. He's the good shepherd. We're sheep. But you know what's so interesting about this conversation, and sorry, I, I, this thought came to me at the end, but it is something that I want to talk about is one of the reasons I think that the church shies away from these conversations is because these conversations have been so politicized. And we see it through primarily the lens of politics. And so we say, well, I don't want to touch that because that's a political issue Mm -hmm. when it's actually a deeply biblical issue. And so one of the things that I've just been so encouraged by you, Jim, in conversations is you are a man of the word and the word just flows out of your heart. And that that's actually where the authority of your words when you're speaking of these issues come from. Um, And that, yeah, we aren't to be cowardly, but also we aren't to be misled. This is not a political issue primarily. We've made it political because our legislators have their hands all in it. That's part of the indoctrination is that it's political and you shouldn't talk about it, particularly in church, because you have to have that separation of church and state. Yeah. Boy. But this is not political. No, it certainly isn't. It's a blood of Jesus Christ issue. Well, it's the politic of the kingdom of heaven, Mm -hmm. and that's actually the only politics that belong Mm -hmm. in the church. But they supersede all other political systems, Mm -hmm. and it's the way to introduce real shalom to the chaos that is propelled in all other arenas. Leave it to Libby to have the last word. I did have one (laughs) more word, though. (laughs) Go, Trig. (laughs) I just think for our hearts, if, if we've been triggered by anything in this conversation... It'd probably be good for all of us to open up our Bibles this week and read Matthew 5 through 7 Mm. and just prayerfully consider the words of Jesus Um, and let it audit our souls, you know, and submit to the authority of those words because I know that's been wrecking me lately. So I don't know. I just felt like that was of the Lord and that moment, for some reason, that'd be stirring in my heart just that. These are difficult conversations, but Jesus doesn't shy away from difficult conversations. And his most famous sermon was probably the most difficult thing for sinful humanity to digest. And yet it's true. Um, So we're grateful. We don't uh, we don't uh, take you listening along for granted. And we're doing our best to steward these conversations with prayerful wisdom and uh, but also the locker room. Sometimes there's tape on the ground and it gets a little bit messy and there's some stinky clothes in the locker. And so we're also not going to shy away from the messy conversations. And this is a messy conversation. So what I was feeling led right now to do is actually, Jim, you started our time with prayer, which no one heard, but maybe you could end our time with prayer. Sure. I'd be happy to. You know, I think first I would say uh, as somebody who, who, um, is in the congregation on Sunday, I really appreciate um, Crossroads Bible Church. Um, then as somebody who is the CEO of PRC Grand Rapids, I greatly appreciate what Crossroads is doing um, on the matter of the sanctity of human life. So keep up the good work. <laughs> Let me pray. Father, thank you for these moments. Um, we have um, definitely felt your presence here by your spirit. Spirit, thank you for being um, uh, the one who guides us into all wisdom. You are the comforter. <clears throat> and I, I, but I'm also aware, Spirit, that um, 
along with comforting us when we're afflicted, you're, you're also really good at afflicting us when we're comfortable. So I thank you that this is a church that um, is willing to lead uh, in that way as well, be led by you in that way to, um, to sort of um, stir us, um, to move when we get too comfortable on a matter and say, well, that's not something we deal with. So I thank you for this conversation. And I, Lord, pray um, that it will fall on the hearts and the ears and the hearts of those who um, need to hear what you have to say to them on uh, the matter of how much you love them in spite of uh, what maybe they've done, maybe what is um, hidden, what stirs and sits on their heart. Uh, thank you that you um, deal with us on that level. I want to pray a blessing on uh, Rod, Libby, the board here, Trig, um, the leadership of this organization. May they continue to be on their faces before you and just hear what you have for them. Uh, continue to, to lead them well. May you find ears that are open, uh, hearts that are open, and hands and feet that are willing to step into uh, what you have for them. Uh, this is yours. Thank you for giving us life and that, uh, Jesus, you came to give us life to the full. Uh, we love you. Uh, we pray for your kingdom to come. And I pray that we would find, um, even today and in the, in the days to come, the good things that you've prepared in advance for us to do. Lord, we feel like we have to step into so many situations and figure it out. But I'm so grateful, Spirit, that you guide us and you can um, point out to us the things that uh, we need to be doing to bring kingdom. That we don't have to usher it in, that you are ushering it in. May we not be in the way of that. May we be um, facilitating that in every conversation and every relationship. So again, Lord, thank you for, for being here and for anointing this time. We offer it up to you and your son, we pray. Amen. 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 I just want to say um, we're going to have a bonus podcast. We're going to have a really great guest. She's Lebanese. She's a doctor, and she just wrote a book on sex in the church and how it affects us and how we all hide from it. And so stay tuned for a bonus episode where we take a deeper dive into this kind of stuff, which literally affects all of us, our sexuality, our Christianity, how we hide, how we're affected by it, and how sin just creeps its way in and affects all of us. Amen. This is the locker room where we break down sermon stories and scripture to prepare us for the race of our faith. Uh, Hit that follow and notification bell if you want to stay up to date. We love you and are grateful that you're here with us. Locker room.